So what I'm going to do is I'll develop what the Lord has laid in my heart. And that is to develop this theme, I want to share a, a, a phrase from a word that God gave to the people of God through Jeremiah. So that's in the title slide. The Lord promised Israel that when he renews the covenant, Jeremiah ministered in a very difficult period of Israel's history. Jeremiah had the heart-breaking message that God will abandon his people. It's not a healing word usually to go and tell a couple who think that they are in great, very much in love, that the God is going to separate them. That's not, that, that, that's not the ministry you take it as spiritual, isn't it? Put in simple words, that was the word given to Jeremiah. So Jeremiah ministered in a very difficult time with a lot of heartache, tears. He is called a weeping prophet. And uh, there are rays of hope in his book. And one of those words of hope is this, that the Lord will give to his people when he restores them back from their exile, when he renews the covenant, God will give them shepherds after his own heart. I'm sure you all would like to minister in your generation in ways that please God. Is anybody who says, no, I want to rebel against God? Thank you for not saying hallelujah to that. <laughs> So we all want to please the Lord. Put a smile on the Lord's face. We want, we want to hear this well done, faithful servant. Isn't it? Yes. We all want to hear that. Now, to be that, we have to be a people or a servant of God shaped by God's plan and purposes. And the definition of shepherds after God's own heart is is. People will feed God's people with knowledge and understanding. With knowledge and understanding. Now, if I were to ask you, what is the primary purpose of God's calling upon your life? I know some of you are uh, professional ministers. When I say professional ministers, you are like me. We live off the gospel. And all right, that's you know, it, it, that is our. Please don't think it's very unspiritual. That's our career, that's our business. Wherever there is money, there is business, isn't it? No. <laughs> I I was going to the United States, and the guy asked me at the entrance point. So what visa do you have? I said I, I have a business visa. So you are here on business, sir. I came to preach the gospel. Is there any money involved in it? I said, yes, sir, ICP will get some money out of it. <laughs> but is there any money involved in it? I said, yes, definitely. Then that's business. That's what we call business. You are in religious business. Somebody else is in another business. Well, we may not like that too much. It's not a very, very, very you know, that's not a very edifying thought. I know, I know some of you are very, very, very uh, unhappy about it. But what's the primary calling? You're all here either as a professional minister, career minister, full-time minister, or bivocational, or you are serving the church in some capacity or the other. 
the one set of you know there are lot of servants of the gospel who never get acknowledged like that sunday school teachers in my church we gave them every year a sari <laughs> what does it mean 99.99% of sunday school teachers are ladies and in a very charismatic church that is only ministry a woman is allowed to do <laughs> teach even the pastor's child isn't it otherwise you know we say we are pentecostal charismatic when it comes to women's ministries we are very brethren in that <laughs> thank you so <laughs> i whatever ministry you do maybe as a youth worker you you usher people in one question i want to ask you what do you think is the non negotiable component of your ministry something that cannot be given up any answers here how many of you vote for love loving the lord is in this tomorrow we'll develop it from john 21 it's a wonderful answer clap for her please thank you loving the lord and loving his people wonderful yes anybody else serving people god has put that into your heart i believe thank you very much everybody wants to be a boss around but i find there are a lot of people here in this group who want to serve they very 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 good gifting unusual gifting god help you perfect it thank you very much please clap clap for her turn with me to mark's gospel chapter 3 verses 13 to 15 and he went up on the mountain jesus and called to him those whom he desired and they came to him and he appointed 12 whom he also called apostles now look at this so that they might be with him the primary purpose of god calling people for ministry is that they will be with him and those who are with him alone can be commissioned to send them out to proclaim the gospel and to exercise other powers of the kingdom primarily here deliverance casting out demons and we find a very similar statement in acts chapter 6 you know there was this problem of uh, uh distribution of help to widows and in a growing church with multiple uh, racial background greek speaking people had this grievance that the widows who were non aramaic speaking were not given adequate provision or care there was some what is it a disparity injustice you know whatever word you want to put there and this became an issue so the apostles decided upon a solution they said look select seven people now the characteristics of these seven people are not very different from the characteristic of a person who is uh, an apostle people of the spirit people who are full of faith wisdom and good reputation you take this to timothy or titus you will find these are all the the qualities of godly leaders isn't it you select seven 
faithful people, spirit-filled people, wise people with understanding, skilled people who will administer this. We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry for the word of God. Do you think this was a good development? Open to you. If you are afraid of questioning the apostles, keep quiet. Say praise the Lord. <laughs> I will put the naughty thing first. When Jesus was with these disciples, the twelve, and uh, he was teaching, and uh, these disciples came and told Jesus, Sir, send these people away. They need to eat some food. What did Jesus tell them? You feed them. So feeding the poor, feeding the hungry, is it kingdom ministry or not? That's why we call it as integral mission. Healing, encouraging, delivering, providing for the poor, feeding the hungry is not less spiritual than proclaiming the word or teaching the word in that sense, isn't it? Because Jesus told the apostles, you feed them. Now, given the crisis, the solution they come up with is, is you select seven people, let them manage this. We will focus on, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. May I suggest with due apologies to Peter, he can catch me by my ear when we meet in heaven. <laughs> I'll still say, Apostle Peter, I may have misunderstood you, but you misunderstood me also sometimes. <laughs> anyway, we'll wait for the exchange over there. <laughs> Unfortunately, this could be the cleavage of ministries that there is a tendency to develop apostolic ministry and in the priestly hierarchical structure where prayer and the proclamation of the word is placed superior to meeting the human needs of godly people. It could be taken in that way. That part we need to balance it. The other redemptive side of this diversification is this. Peter knew in his heart he could be busy he can make himself so very busy that he will not have time to do that particular gifting given to him. He was called to be with the Lord and for the proclamation of the word. Something which was a unique calling given to the twelve. Now, the unique calling given to the twelve doesn't mean that others are not called to prayer ministry. No. I'm sure some of you here will say, look, I don't have the ministry of the gift of preaching or teaching, but I am called for a ministry of intercession. Does anybody believe in a ministry of intercession? Yes. Why, why would one be put on a pedestal or given a little priority? The reason is simple. Peter knew if he were to supervise the administration of material benefits or the diaconia, the service of love. Service of love. Now, these days, that is, that is far more credible, isn't it? Corona times, 
how did your church make its presence known there was a time when i grew up when i went to college as a young believer you know my friends even the professor of my the, my the principal of the college knew that i had left the catholic church and become a pentecostal because i was for 6 years the altar boy in a church where he used to come twice a month so you know what was the question asked me at the college inter interview selection principal's question which denomination do you belong to i said uh, father i am a pentecostal how did you serve at my mass <laughs> I, i was then i was then a catholic and now i am you are a pent when will you become a marxist something in me wanted to say i have seen a greater radical than karl marx but my heart was beating so fast <laughs> in the catholic tradition there is this superiorization superiority of prayer and uh, sacramental ministries the charism or the service the diaco diacon the word diaconia simply means i may use one or two greek words here and there uh, not because i want to show off because that is how you you just like you think and all you see you say what is it uh, uh, android and iphone <laughs> what is android do you understand what is android what do you understand <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank you thank you so likewise i also will say some android i will say diaconia marturia <laughs> and <laughs> sorry <laughs> okay no so dia the basic word diaconia means ministry or service the diaconia of love helping others pitted against the diaconia or the word or the charismatic ministry of the church kairukma is to preach to proclaim to preach the charismatic function of the church is seen to be elevated and there is uh, a kind of uh, you know making the service of love as secondary but during corona what did you find people who are threatening you healing crusade people Modi said, "You know, you beat the drum and chain and light the candle, dear, and all go away. Corona, corona, go away, go away." <laughs> That's where I felt so proud of my church's young people. They went door to door collecting and collecting money and distributing food packets. And that one one week, my church's young people distributed. 550 food kits to the neighboring communities and i said children i am proud of you <laughs> and so we did it isn't it we did it in jharkhand we did it in uh, purvanchal we did it in, uh, in in amravati i have a former student over there so what did we do we were not allowed to preach but we in the name of jesus we did not put a sign of the cross or uh, jesus picture on that but still door to door we were handing over so the diaconia of love took precedence when we were asked to be silent when we were asked to be masked and not and to be socially distanced 
So these are not permanent solutions, but nevertheless, deep within, in the heart of Peter, there was this calling. There is a non-negotiable. I can be busy with umpteen things, but Jesus called me primarily to be with him. Now, may I say, this is a job given to those of us who are professional ministers of the gospel. What's the difference between a professional minister of the gospel and somebody else? One, you can say, well, he lives on the gospel, his paycheck comes from the church, whatever, fine. But Christian ministers are expected to demonstrate the values of the kingdom in visible ways so that others can see and follow. So we are called to ministry or as ministers of the gospel, we are to embody, we are to demonstrate the general principles of the church are to be embodied in its leaders. So when Jesus called the apostles to be with him, it was the calling he gave to everybody. Chapter 2, chapter 1 of Mark 17. Follow me. Follow me. When he called the disciples, he called them to follow him so that as they follow Jesus, they will be able to demonstrate to others what it means to follow Jesus. And the tragedy of Mark's narrative is this, that the disciples are such poor followers that the foil of their failure becomes a teaching mechanism or a, a may I use another pedantic word? It becomes a pedagogic methodology. Hey. Another android, don't worry. <laughs> Incidentally, there is a very... Very famous Malayalam movie called Android Kunyapan. <laughs> and strangely, the producer of that movie is a Pentecostal boy, Malayali Pentecostal. <laughs> sorry, sorry for giving you some church secrets, okay. All right. Now we'll come to a we'll closer look at it. Jesus went up on a mountain and according to Luke chapter 6 verses 12 and 13, he spent a whole night in prayer. And after such a long intense night vigil, Jesus calls the 12, those whom he chose to be with him. Now, in this going up on the mountain and spending time with God in prayer and then calling people to him, there is a Jesus-Moses typology, another android typology, isn't it? Where an Old Testament character and his habits become a foil to explain or to, to put Jesus in better light. Moses goes up the mountain. Forty days. With the Lord. Nobody is allowed to come. Moses comes down. Whereas Jesus goes up the mountain and calls the people come. He chooses 12. So 
that universal access into the very presence of the living god opened up through jesus is now made a reality in the life of these 12 so that we like these 12 can be with the gift of life the giver of life jesus the author of life so there is a jesus moses typology and all here fine come look at moses again Moses got so excited with this experience of being alone with the Lord he built a habit around it We read about Moses going alone to meet with the Lord in the tent of meeting isn't it and his assistant Joshua would stay outside the tent Moses comes out with glowing face and then Paul builds a Jesus Moses new covenant comparison about this in second corinthians chapter 3 i told you i am a teacher second corinthians chapter 3 but you all know it very well moses used to put a veil over his face and then whenever he turned to the lord he lifted up the veil and then he says but we with unveiled faces who the new testament believer moses built a habit of spending time alone with god looking into his face and new testament christians are privileged to or called to spend time alone with the lord with unveiled faces as they look into the lord who is a spirit they are being transformed from from one degree of glory into the other and that's the work of the holy spirit so this calling to be alone with the lord to be with the lord is true of the old testament ministry of glory as well as the greater more glorious ministry of the new testament so what is the one non negotiable aspect of our calling to be a minister of the gospel it is to be with the lord it is to be with the lord the irony is this there are some charismatic ministers of whom god has no knowledge surely they are not brethren ministers because brethren people never go will go and say lord lord did we not prophesy in your name the fellow would be excommunicated by <laughs> and no brethren minister lord lord did we not heal in your name and cast out demons in your name certainly these are charismatic ministers satyavalle brother ivaran ിംഗ് but then in matthew's gospel chapter 7 verse 21 jesus says on that day many will say to me lord lord did we not prophesy in your name do many mighty works in your name 
And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Why am I bringing this? Shepherds after God's own heart are not known by their miraculous abilities. Their insights, the profoundness of their ministry, the word, the giftedness of their teaching. That's what we think, isn't it? That's how, that's how we have heroes. And unfortunately, 21st century has not been a good year for some of us who worshipped stars. No further comment on that. <laughs> See, God tells, Jesus tells, I never knew you. You know, as a young Catholic, on days of high mass, look, when I say Catholic, I belong to that uh, Kerala Catholic. Means what? Not the Roman Catholic. <laughs> Means what? In Kerala, there are two non-Roman Catholic Catholics. <laughs> One is the Chaldean Syrians. You know, Bishop Palanjeril and all that thing going on there. Is it Chaldeanization or, you know, Kaldayavalkaranam and uh, Latinization? All, you know, that, that is one group. I belong to the holier group. <laughs> the Malangara Catholics. <laughs> Do you know one thing? The media has, in the last three, four years, destroyed... Piece by piece, the credibility of the church. The one segment they have not been able to attack so far is my former Malangara Catholic Church. <laughs> I have lots of reason to say that because the IPC was registered in 1931. That's around the same time when the Malangara reunion movement took place. And I'm a student of church history. No more comments on that because you may take my ticket tonight itself. <laughs> In our high church, high masses, you see, if the bishop is a bit delayed or the priest has too many people to confess and all, we go into certain litanies. And as a young child, I remember this word the deacon used to say, deliver us from that statement. Get away from me for I do not know you. Deliver us from that cursed statement. Get away from me. I do not know you. As a young boy, that had fallen into my heart. And later as a student of the word, as a young disciple, this verse of Jesus again struck a chord. Get away from me for I do not know you. Now what is the significance of this? Jesus called his disciples to be with him. That they may know him. John 17 and verse 3. What is eternal life? This is eternal life. Knowing you the only true God and the Messiah you have sent. That is eternal life. If knowing God and the Messiah is eternal life, 
Then for the Messiah to say, get away from me, I never knew you, is what? Even their faith life was hell life. That is what Jesus says. Now, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Now, Paul is addressing the issue of idolatry, idol food and all. Now, here is how he addresses the issue. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we look at the word know that all possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up like our Android knowledge puffs up, isn't it? Some people think that knowing the root word in Greek and Hebrew will make you holy. <laughs> if I say holy is Kadosh in Hebrew. Kadosh comes from Kadasha. Kadasha is the word for a prostitute or the common one, which means set apart. This is all correct, don't worry. Eh? <laughs> so Kadosh, Kadasha means to be set apart for a purpose. Do you think by giving you, taking you through all these uh, uh, Hebrew uh, etymology and uh, development of a word, I become holy? No, you don't participate in the holiness of God by teaching about holiness, isn't it? <laughs> Likewise, <laughs> isn't it? Knowing God puffs up. Your theology can puff you up. Your spiritual experiences can puff you up. You can feel that you are superior to others. I have made this mistake. There was a time when I was in Bible school, and you know, go from Yathmal back home, and you have these preachers. There was a preacher in my church who, visiting preacher, he was illiterate. So he could never hold the Bible in the proper way. He will hold it ulta. But he had the verses. I don't know where he got the verses from. <laughs> so we used to laugh at him. And then there are some people who will pretend you do they think that you have to say a word or two in English then only it becomes really anointed and and you know they don't even speak four standard grammatically correct English so these are the thing I grew up in such a situation so what so you always look down upon people you know Hebrew you know Greek you know a little bit of church history and you have read scholars and then when two Bible school students meet together, what they, they, they throw the names of people they know as if, you know, Packer was your, uh, you know, chess. You played chess with Packer and all. You have read three of his pages. It was a 300-page book. You read three pages. <laughs> That's the truth. I have a huge library, okay? The truth is that I have not even read 10% of it. If I could put my hand and get the 1,700 pages of N.T. right into my head, oh, what a joy it would have been. But it will take you months to read and understand. We'll come back. So, so, you see, knowledge puffs up. Paul goes on to say, but love builds up. Look at the next verse. If anyone thinks that he knows something, he does not know as he ought to know. If anyone loves God, he is... What is eternal life? Jesus said eternal life is this, knowing the only true God and the Messiah whom he have sent. But what is eternal life? Eternal life is to be known by God. 
come to galatians chapter 4 paul is narrating their story before we knew god when once upon a time the galatians used to worship idols or beings that are not god but now that you have come to know god he makes a correction look there is a grammar correction i ought to make rather than saying you have come to know god active voice let's put it in passive voice better you have been known all english teachers forgive me you know there was a time when we grew up we learned you uh, write long sentences in passive voice and now whenever i write an article the editor says use active use active use active there is a a great celebration of active voice in in modern english am i right or wrong journalistic writing and all so i am a poor writer but this is a place where you cannot part with exchange the passive for the sake of active it takes the meaning whole around <laughs> better that you have been known would you would you tell your neighbor the lord knows you active voice and put that in put that in passive voice you have been no <laughs> some of you thought that some of you thought that after 10 standard ren and martin to hell with him and <laughs> and then when i went to bible college i was asked to go back to ren and martin <laughs> you forgot renan martin and okay this is it get away from me you evil doers i never knew you because eternal life is to be known by god elected chosen set apart to be with the lord is that we may know him as he knows us that mutual knowledge of one with the other that is important that is why we are called to be with him see what what is what does it mean to be known by god or to know god first of all another another big word i am going to use it is not evangelical gnosticism the word knowledge comes from the greek word gnosis and and gnosticism is very much similar to our jnana marga do you understand jnana marga aham brahmasmi tattvamasi this kind of that there is no difference between the eternal soul and the individual soul and you know parabrahmam aparabrahmam tan jnanannu koovunu raapagal ennode nandariyami you should know little bit of hebrew and more of malayalam to understand theology <laughs> okay <laughs> okay so knowledge jnana marga it's a greek philosophical point form is called gnosticism that all you know it's it's a very rational Uh, religious idea knowing understanding the truth when we apply it see lot of people think that 
Salvation is knowing a set of doctrines. I am a sinner. God is holy. Because I am a sinner, there is a chasm between me and God. Jesus came to bridge the chasm and now by faith in Jesus, you are united with God. I am a child of God. It's simple, simple salvation, uh, you know, isn't it? Simple, simple steps. People think subscribing to a right set of doctrines, if you sign it, if there is accuracy of your confession, if your biblical interpretation is accurate, if your statement of faith is accurate, you see, we, we, we become the greatest heretics in spontaneous prayer, according to this. Because if you analyze some of, you know, I hope you will not stop, you know, please, when you are asked to pray and all, pray, pray. Make some mistakes and all, God forgives, don't worry, he is your Abba Father. He understands you even better than you understand your English or your Marathi or whatever it is. <laughs> so don't worry. But we make a lot of mistakes in our uh, theological errors, in our spontaneous prayers. Because on the spot we make, I have heard some theological students pray like this. I thank you, my God, Father, because Father, Lord Jesus Christ, you came and died on the cross for me. <laughs> In almost 25 years of theological education at postgraduate level, I have tried to correct my students and PhD students still say like this, I thank you, my father, Lord Jesus Christ, because you came and died on the cross of Calvary for me. Thank you, Abba Father. <laughs> no, I'm not saying you should be so mindless in your prayers, but... <laughs> but accuracy of theological formulae that you confess in your prayers or your ability to articulate something with the ability to analyze somebody else's prayer and fail him or pass her or something like that. You see, that theological jurisprudence, your ability to sit on a judge's chair and decide whether a statement is accurate or it needs correction, revision, etc. No, no, no. That I would say dogmatic or doctrinal accuracy that is not knowing God. In that case, most of the apostles did not know. What did Peter say? Saint Paul, our brother. He writes some things which is so difficult for us to understand. Even after writing that beautiful first Peter, which is so much of a plagiaristic adaptation of Romans and Galatians. See, <laughs> what am I trying to say? First Peter's theology of salvation is more Pauline than Paul's own theology of salvation. <laughs> and still he says, our brother Paul, because of the great understanding he has, written some things which everybody doesn't understand, so they misinterpret and all. Oh, how humble Peter is. <laughs> You may be able to correct Peter, but that doesn't mean the Lord knows you. Yeah. Coming back to Matthew 7, what does it mean to be known by God? Power, religion doesn't mean God is on your side. 
Now we all believe in the power of God, the gifting of God, the healing of God, the miracles that God does. Why do we pray? We pray because we want God to answer our prayers, right or wrong. We all have existential problems. We are not sufficient in ourselves. We are vulnerable people and we need God's touch, God's help. And in everyday life, we need God's protection in our children. So we all pray for miracles to happen on a day-to-day -day basis. Right or wrong? Is there anybody who says, God, you have given me so much grace. Thank you. Please don't mess up with my life. Stay away. And no miracles today. Do you ever pray like that? We are very, very, very childlike in our prayers, isn't it? So we are all in that sin. Everybody, be a Catholic or a Jacobite or a Malangara fellow also, you believe in prayers, except that these fellows, they, they, they think that when their leaders are leaving, they are so much uh, in need of grace of God, they cannot do any miracles. So miracle working has been passed on to all the dead fellows. While the living fellows do all the church administration and court cases, they have to die to go near to God to do miracles. That's the difference. Catholic Church, Orthodox Church, they all believe in miracles. We just like we believe in miracles. Only thing, these people, their healers are all dead saints. You think, you think about what I'm saying. They're only dead people, isn't it? Otherwise, they have to be charismatic water people or something like that. Okay, come back. So there is that power religion uh, idea in among all of us. Does power religion mean God is on our side? If you look at power religion, it is so popular today among Muslims, among the Sikh people, among Hindus. Is the amount of money you amass a sign of God's blessing? Of course, as ordinary people, we take God's provisions, God's kindness, God's gracious provisions, and we thank God. That's a good attitude. Thanking God, being grateful is a power. Power religion is not the evidence that God knows you. That is the Pentecostal Gnosticism. If there is an evangelical Gnosticism, confusing power religion to be God's good pleasure with us is a Pentecostal Gnosticism. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3. You may have the faith to move mountains. You may give your body to be burned. Who is that? Graham Steins. Martyrdom. You may speak in heavenly language. You may have all knowledge and prophetic insight. Is there gravity in you or are you nothing? So there is the danger of people claiming to be known by God or to be standing on the side of God because there is a particular ability or skill that they have developed. God knows why and how. Leave it. It's a mystery. How can it be coexist? I don't know. But this is it. Get away from me. I do not know you. Knowledge of God, therefore, is, may I summarize it like this, it's deeply personal. It's deeply personal. Knowledge of God is not just intellectual. Of course, there is a, a, an, an information side to it, the the cognitive side to it, but it's more on, an, on a personal level. It is relational. If it is personal, it is relational. Relational, individual, as well as corporate. That is why Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. The Holy Spirit 
emboldens us to cry out, Abba, Father. But it is not just an individualistic crying out. It is the community saying, Our Father, Our Father. So there is a corporate dimension to it. This is the essence of the covenant, the old covenant and the new covenant. I will give you shepherds after my own heart, people who know me and who will give you, impart to you knowledge and understanding. And this knowledge to be known by God is deeply transformational. Now that is a real test. The transformational aspect of knowing God or being known by God. We cannot claim to know God and yet not be affected or changed or impacted by God's presence and God's wisdom, God's love and character. And that's why what we read in Jeremiah 23. The promise of the shepherd after God's own heart is picked up in Jeremiah 23. Now this is contrasting with Israel's wicked shepherds and the promise of that good and great shepherd that is the Messiah to come and the new covenant. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah makes this complaint about the shepherds of God in Jeremiah 23. It's God's complaint. These prophets and shepherds, instead of gathering God's people, are scattering them. A shepherd is expected to gather God's people, but here, in effect, they are scattering them. They scatter and do not gather. They destroy and do not protect or lead. In John 10, how would Jesus put it? They are thieves or mercenaries. Isn't it? They are thieves or mercenaries. Hirelings. A shepherd, good shepherd will give his life for the sheep. So instead of gathering, they are scattering. They do not protect. They destroy. They do not feed. And chapter 23, verses 10 to 11. Their word does not transform people. They are affirming people to be part of the status quo. Which means these prophets do not see what is evil as God sees in the world. They are telling them they will be comfortable, they will be blessed, they will be looked after, they will be protected, they will prosper even if their lives are not changed to be attuned with God's. You know, in chapter 23, verse 13, Jeremiah has a complaint about the northern prophets. You know, the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. Eh? Israel was divided after Solomon's time. Now, the northern kingdom, the prophets were prophesying by Baal. You come to the prophets of Jerusalem. If the northern prophets did not prophesy by Yahweh, but by Baal. The prophets of Jerusalem, they do not make a difference. They affirm the status quo of evil. And for Jeremiah, these people despise God's word. And you see, strangely, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, Paul says, We are not like some people, peddlers of God's word. But we speak as people approved by God. What is this peddlers of God's 
God's word. You know, we are all very grateful to God for convenience stores. Convenience stores in Britain, I don't know about your Kirana shops, I'll tell you about in Britain. Most convenience shops in Britain are owned by Patels or Pakistanis. Okay? Patels means these are the 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 Idi Amin time, time period who migrated. Some of them have become very, very rich. If you go to a convenience store, usually it's a corner shop, junctions. It's a family business. Father, mother, grandfather, uncle, and children, even school-going children will take their duties. Nobody gets paid. It's all, you know, home business. Everything will be slightly more expensive. Five pence, two pence. Sir, convenience. Sir, we open at 6 o'clock. The departmental store only will open at 10 o'clock. 6 o'clock. Sir, we close at 11.30. Convenience. So for convenience sake, you pay little extra. Have you ever calculated their profit percentage? I will give you a profit calculation we made as young econo students of economics in Marivanius College once upon a time in 1974. The budget was to be discussed in class. None of us students ever understood what the budget was. But the public finance teacher came and said, discuss the budget. We were very knowledgeable students at that time. Well, in the course of it, I don't know how he went. He said, let's go to the village, to the local market here. You see, in the evening, you find there are these uh, Andi Chandai, we call it, in the evening, evening, evening market. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Because when people go from work, they can buy <coughs> one sambar, one aviel, you know, this mixtures of kuta, kuta, eh? vegetables. No, you pay little money. He is also, the, the laborer is also happy because you don't need to buy kilograms of it. You buy, uh, you know, little, small, just like this sachet business, shampoo, sachet and all. <laughs> These are the, you know, killer profiteers of India. Did you know that? That is, uh, I'll come back to that. Eh? <laughs> I'll come back to that. Now look, so you buy for one day's sambar, one day's aviel, one day's puriel, you buy something and go. You are happy there is some balanced money because you can buy little fish, three, four sardines and little tapioca. And of course, the more understanding can have a little boo so that you can walk steadily into your home. <laughs> now this is a mystery. This is a mystery. My public finance professor said, in a study conducted by the Department of Economics in Kerala University, they found that these women who sold convenience packets were making 330% profit, profit on the small packets that they were selling. Now take them to your sachet, Nescafe, five rupees. <laughs> you don't need to buy that uh, 200 grams and pay 450 rupees for that, isn't it? Five rupees sachet, very convenient. What is his profit? Calculate. <laughs> what is the result? That in my village in Perimbati, the lady who comes to clean the house will also be using sun silk shampoo and she will ask, yes, why, why is your hair so beautiful? Is it because you also use sun silk shampoo? Five rupees. <laughs> you see, but what's the profit? Now, now, that is called peddling. Marketeering. 
ഡോൺട്ട് മേക്ക് an irrational profit and don't think that you know the ambani's are not guilty of this we leave it in another kind of macroeconomics analysis leave it there what is geo doing and airtel doing we leave, leave, leave it there but this is there this is in isn't it to the oh, no do, please lord bring me back to from economics <laughs> see any if, if you are a christian in kerala you have a little bit of a leftist orientation okay <laughs> that is the upbringing all right so see paul says we are not like many peddlers of god's word what is peddling god's word instead of being relational with god and i'll take you to the next step being with him instead of giving the whole counsel of god instead of bringing the word which will transform our life and qualify our relationship and which will make us participate in the godliness that jesus christ has shown or make us authentic human beings <clears throat> we market it in sashes we all do it open your bibles how many verses have you underlined <clears throat> if you are to keep only the underlined verses how, how thick will your bible be so we are all to some degree or the other <laughs> peddlers of the word of god because we have our favorite verses we have a in ipc you can be a lifelong preacher of the word if you know 10 or 15 psalms by heart you may never hear the word jesus but you will hear david and bathsheba and <laughs> <laughs> so much so that in icpf we have a leader who says because people hear so much about david and bathsheba the church is also becoming ideal david and bathsheba <laughs> but why did i say this we all have select versions select verses we are all guilty of emphasizing something that suits us and saying playing to the galleries am i doing that now i don't know but the temptation in a church like this is this is to play to the galleries you speak to people what they like to hear the intention is not that their lives will be transformed but that we either become popular or better offerings come or more people come to our church for jeremiah the spreaders of god's word they despise god's word jeremiah says is not god tells jeremiah isn't my word like fire isn't my word like a hammer can you play with fire and not be touched or changed two disciples took a 7 mile walk on a sunday morning they were baffled strange things had happened and more so because the stories were told by some women one of whom was rather crazy once upon a time so as they were discussing husband and wife definitely going 
a stranger comes across and asks him, what are you arguing so much? Family people on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, back home, why are you fighting and going? You are the only one living in Jerusalem who doesn't read the papers. What papers? What happened? Did you not know about it? What happened? The story they say. Oh, they told the gospel story. How Jesus was crucified. And the tomb is empty. And one that, including that crazy woman. Claims to have seen him. His tomb is empty. We don't know what's happening. So this stranger joins with them. Begins to discuss from God's word. And then they reach their destination. It's almost evening time. And... He wants to go there. He says, why don't you stay with us? Gift of hospitality is uh, so tremendous in, in, in the Old Testament. That is how people treated God, God's servants and angels. Why don't you stay with us? Okay, Jesus, Jesus went to stay with them. And then they made a quick meal. And as the rabbi teacher at the table, he took bread and gave thanks. Their eyes were opened. They said, Were not our hearts burning as he was teaching God's word? Now that kind of a spirit fire and a fear and a transformation and a burning where it will burn all the dross that is in us, refine us, take us like a hammer which will shape us into the image of or the son of God. That is not what these shepherds wanted. They said peace when there was no peace. Who then are ministers who are known by God? May I put it like this? They are God huggers. Hugging as a child will hug its parents. Or a newly married couple. You know, as people live, become older and experienced in their marriage, they will hug everyone other than their spouses. <laughs> but imagine, imagine, imagine that you are just going to be married or recently married. Oh, you will always hold hands, isn't it? Hugging. Clinging on to. Leaning on to. And that hugging experience, I am going to translate from Jeremiah using a little small twist of words. You know this word council? The Sanhedrin council, the church council, the college council. Council is what? It's a forum, isn't it? It's a body. It's an official body or a forum where you meet and discuss. And you have another word, Council, C-O-U-N-S-E-L, C-I-L versus S-E-L. Who is a God-hugging minister after God's own heart? According to Jeremiah, he is the one who stands in the counsel of God to receive the counsel of God. <laughs> Say after me. Stand in the counsel of God. To receive, to receive the counsel of God. That is what Jeremiah says in chapter 23 verse 18. Who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word? You look at this expression. 
not just to hear to see and hear his word or who has paid attention to his work and listened i did not send the prophets yet they ran i did not speak to them yet they prophesied but they if they had stood in my counsel then they would have proclaimed my word to my people they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds godly ministers known by god called to be with jesus are god huggers who stand in the counsel of god and this is the problem with all ministers we think it is in our strategizing in our planning planning is needed strategy is needed methodologies are to be developed you know there is lot of thought that needs to take place technology has to be perfected fantastic but the one non negotiable component of our calling to be ministers or shepherds after god's own heart is the invitation which god gives to us come be with me stand in my counsel see and hear the word see the word and hear the word what do you see you see the word when you look at jesus he is the word incarnate you see the word when you look at jesus hug on cling on attach ourselves to jesus and stand in his counsel the holy spirit will rescript your understanding you will receive with clarity and you may not be the best or an award winning orator but god will take your fumbling feeble words to transform people's lives may i say some of the people who have impacted us a lot are not great preachers because these wonderful preachers we get to see them from a distance am i right or wrong some of my real good mentors were hopeless boring preachers there was a professor i won't say which subject because you will easily understand <laughs> his gift in my life was he could easily put me to sleep <laughs> so every time he took a bible study i used to sleep once we went on a mission i used to teach, teach romans and i was so proud even my former professor was regularly attending after the third or fourth session he took me aside and said edi romans is good but you need to pray more the old man will get up at 4 o'clock and will be on his knees that's the time when i used to get my best sleep what has touched your life those profound sessions or rhetorical skills yes they have been there were you know people preachers who who impacted you you were just breathless in their presence and you know you got so caught up but lives have been touched and transformed by people who may not be so interesting speakers but who stand in god's presence and god's counsel you know i had this struggle and i still have this struggle thanks to this man of god so difficult for me to make a message very difficult so in an evening prayer meeting i shared once it's very difficult for me to preach i have to struggle sometimes it's sleepless nights and then 
you get a flash of thought sometime later. I, I just want the church to pray for me so that God will give me this flashes of lightning and this insight so that I don't need to struggle so much. I said, I enjoy reading the Bible. Struggling to make one message is difficult. So he said, young man, you come here and kneel down. We are going to pray for you. I thought a miracle was going to happen. And these elders came and laid hands and prayed. And you know what he prayed? Lord, never take this struggle away from this young man. <laughs> I used to sleep in his class. But that prayer has turned my life around. People who stand in God's counsel and get the counsel of God, they may not be smart, they may not be very organized, they may not be, you know, their homiletics you failed. You know, in my seminary studies, I went to seminary having won so many debating competitions in Kerala. I have not done one Sajivotama, but most other Kerala competitions I have won. The fellow who I used to be defeated every time, he became DGP. <laughs> other fellow with whom we used to share, he became chief secretary. And I became poor evangelist. <laughs> <laughs> that is the accolades with which I went to seminary. My poorest mark in BD studies is homiletics. My professor said, I am not good at preaching. You may not be good at preaching. You may not be graded. People may not laugh. People may not clap. But if you stand in the counsel of God and receive the counsel of God, decades from now, people will come and tell you that day, God spoke to me. God spoke to me. Why? Because the word is like fire, fire. The word is like hammer. The word will transform their lives. What do you want to be in life? For four years of my early ministry, I was a staff worker of the UESI. A UESI staff, UESI, do you know? Evangelical Union. A UESI staff worker those days was known for being poor. My average salary after four years of service <coughs> means what? The 10% the, the of the salary they cut from you and 10% contributory uh, input from the organization, which grows in a recurring deposit scheme. After four years, you know how much I got? 2,200 rupees. I gave exact tithes to the office and received less than 2,000 rupees in my hand. What is it? Half of it is my contribution. No, half of it plus government interest. So that was my salary average, you can calculate. It was very hard, very, very, very hard, very hard. I survived in Palakkad because there was a Hindu man who was godly. There was a hospital canteen where I could get one meal for one rupee fifty paisa. That was a government subsidized meal which this man used to give me because he knew I was poor. Once I took, you know, do you know this word, kovadis, sandals, bata sandals? 
I took my Kovadi sandals to repair. And the cobbler said, it is not possible for me to stitch it any longer. You buy a pair of shoes. Where is the money for bus fare or shoes? I was able to spare three rupees and buy a bathroom Hawaii chapels. And he said, sir, your beautiful feet, they will look so shabby on this Hawaii chapels. I thought, other than Isaiah, one more fellow has sung a love song about my beautiful feet. <laughs> No girl ever told me that I was good-looking or handsome. And here is a cobbler who says, your beautiful feet, don't shame them. But I thank God I could spare three rupees and buy a pair of Hawaii chapels those days and go. That was my life as a USI staffer. Hard. I would go night after night, weep and cry and ask God, have I offended you? Am I not pleasing to you? Why is it that, you know? Story after story, I can tell you about this. Fast forward. I was preaching at a certain service. And somebody said, I need to share a word of testimony. I have never met that person. And the story was this. When I was a second year student of engineering in such and such a college, I was reluctantly pulled by my friends into a camp where this man of God came and preached. They knew the text, they knew the message, they knew the illustration. And Jesus touched me. 30 years, 40 years later, people come and tell you the outline of your message because that professor prayed, Lord, never take this struggle from this young man. Let him be sleepless, but let him hear you. Why has Jesus called you? Why has he called you by name? Why has he put his hand upon you in such a way that you know it's the hand of the Lord? Somebody touched me. It's the hand of the Lord and no one else and nothing else. And why is it? Why is it that grip does not let you go away? There is a purpose behind it. There is a purpose that you will be with him. You will choose to be with him. You will learn to hug on to him. You will be a God hugger. You will learn to stand in the counsel of God and you will receive the counsel of God which will transform lives and godliness will be implanted in this world. What is then one non-negotiable aspect of your ministry? Can you share it with somebody?